If you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. A blessing to be a part of a good church. Last week we began speaking about the subject where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We focused last week on the fact that Jesus was weeping in John chapter number 11 and verse number 35. That wasn't the end of that story. The end of the story was not with Christ and his weeping. There was a great miracle that took place. It's good for us to consider that miracle and what took place in the life of Jesus and what took place there in the life of Lazarus and his sisters. We learned last week how that Jesus had a relationship of love with this particular family from verses number 1 through 5 of John chapter number 11. We'll take time to read those verses and then we'll open the service in prayer. Now now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. For the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning asking you, Lord, to bless these few moments where we preach your word. I pray, Lord, that there would be limited distraction. I pray that you'd be able to speak clearly to the hearts of those that are here. Lord, I pray that your relationship with us might be made manifest with the blessings we receive from you. May all of our families today, Lord, be blessed like the family of Lazarus because of your intervention in our lives. We pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we get into the service today, if you would be so kind as to take your cell phone out at this very moment and touch the side of it, or turn it off, or turn your ringer on silent to where we will not have any distractions if we can avoid them. I have not learned how to silent amber alerts just yet. If you know how to do that on an iPhone, I would be happy to be perfectly instructed. In John chapter number 11, you have the story about Jesus and his loving relationship with these two sisters and Lazarus. These folks had met together. They had eaten. They had, uh, they had sweet fellowship together. I don't know if you have a relationship with people where you've had folks into your home and you've sat them at your dinner table and you've began to develop a close friendship and fellowship with that person who maybe isn't a part of your family, but that should be a welcome thing in our lives. I've had the privilege of having many people sit at my table as a pastor over the years. Some of them were living with me. Some of them I've invited to be a part of my family. Other people were visiting, visiting preachers, visiting missionaries, and we've been able to to have sweet fellowship. This was how Jesus was in this life. There were many times where you see Jesus sitting down with people and eating with them. It was a common activity. 
You know, I, when I first came to this church, I was inviting people to uh, eat dinner or lunch with me. I said, this may be surprising to you, but I eat dinner every day. And I do. It's a habit of mine. I eat dinner normally between 5 and 7 o'clock. If I'm hungry, I'll eat earlier. If I'm not so hungry, maybe I'll eat a little later. But I eat dinner almost every day. Sharing my meal with people is actually a good thing. I enjoy eating with people. Jesus ate with people. He ate in the, the home of Zacchaeus, a publican. Jesus ate in his resurrected body with his disciples. The Bible spoke of Jesus as being a friend to publicans and sinners, and they accused him and said he eats with the common man. He eats with the common sinner. You know, I think our relationship with other people should be very similar. But he developed a close relationship around the dinner table, no doubt, with Lazarus and with Mary and with Martha. We know how that his sisters, the Bible said, they called out for Jesus. They got in trouble. Their, their brother was sick. There was something wrong with Lazarus. He was getting worse. And they said, you know, we need to call for Jesus. We need to call Christ to come. Throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, people looked for him when they were in trouble. They sought him out. They had heard about the things that Jesus had done for other people. His fame had gone through all of Israel. As Jesus traveled about, it seemed like none of the towns where he went, that there wasn't some kind of spectacular event that had taken place. Another story in the Bible, we find a blind man named Bartimaeus who had heard about this Jesus. And he, there was a bustling going through town as Jesus was walking on the very street where Bartimaeus was by the highway side begging. And when he heard it was Jesus, he, he stood up and he, he called out for Christ and he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible said, and many people were try- telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. Hold your peace. A famous person is passing by. He's got no time for you. But the Bible said that when Jesus heard that statement, by the way, it was a messianic term, calling Jesus the son of David. He was basically acknowledging that the writings of the Old Testament were true and that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. You know, Jesus stood still for Bartimaeus. He had time for Bartimaeus. And the story ended there with, what do you want for me to do to you? What do you want? And he said, Lord that I might receive my sight. And Jesus was able miraculously to give him his sight. People ran to Christ and came to Christ with great needs during the time of Jesus. This was not unlike, this was not unlike any other time that he'd went through in life. There were people calling out and coming to Jesus all the way throughout his life. You'd read stories in the Bible of the woman who had the issue of blood, who was sick, who touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed. But this particular miracle took place because Jesus waited for a total of four days after he was told that Lazarus was sick. And later in the passage in the Bible, when Jesus shows up to town, his sisters had said something about Lazarus in verse number 39. When he got there, they had already laid him in the grave. He'd been there for several days. The stone was in front of the sepulcher or the tomb where he was laid. And he, he said, they said, Lord, by now he stinks. He stinketh. 
Having spent time around many teenage boys in my life, I can attest to the fact that it doesn't take four days of death to get to that point. I just had a terrible memory about a young man in his shoes in a hotel room. I was trying to investigate where the smell was coming from, and foolishly, I picked up someone's shoes and put them close to my face, and I had identified what was stinking in my room. The man wasn't dead, but his shoes smelled like a dead man was in them. Hmm. I've had some experience with, with uh, the smell of a dead man. Some of you think I'm joking. I'm not. My wife and I were on Tuesday night visitation after our Dairy Queen visit. Where a man who was a member of my church, he wasn't coming to church, and he, he kept missing church. I thought, what, what's going on with him? I had just helped him by buying him a truck. He was, I bought him a truck for a couple thousand dollars. He promised to pay me back. And then he stopped coming to church and uh, got to his place and looked like he, had, uh, like he had many times before hit a mailbox. And uh, he sideswiped the whole side of this beautiful GMC pickup truck that I'd purchased for him. And as I was walking around his pickup truck, I noticed that he was laying in the back seat. He, he, was oft, uh, he was paranoid that people were stealing his tools, and he'd always go to sleep in the back of his vehicle, but this time he'd actually gone to meet Jesus in the back of the truck. His name is Barnes. And as I was on my way home with that truck hanging my head out the window, I, I was promising Barnes that I would have words with him when I met him in heaven. You know, when someone dies... They begin to go through that state of decay, and it doesn't really take long, especially not with the climate that there was there in Israel at the time. And it got to a point where not even the sisters of Lazarus were acknowledging that Jesus could do something so miraculous as to raise a man from the dead when he'd been dead for four days. I do believe that there was a portion of that That was one of the reasons that Christ was weeping in verse number 35. I think Christ weeping was just a multifaceted uh, emotional response of Jesus showing us how human he was. And last week, we talked about those reasons that Christ might have been weeping. We didn't get through all the way of that service, but I know this, that Jesus knows the pain that we feel. Jesus knows the turmoil that goes on in our hearts. Sometimes that crying and that emotion is what's necessary. Have you ever met somebody who couldn't cry? Some people can't cry because their heart is so cynical and hardened. The world has played such tricks on them, or they've become so wicked and so far from God that nothing can even move them because their heart is so hardened. I'll say this, that Christ weeping shows us that he can identify with us as a human being. But moving on from the fact that Christ wept, he, he came to the tomb where Lazarus was. And as he gets to the tomb, there's a couple of questions that we might ask ourselves. You know, previously in Christ's life, a man came to him. He was a Roman soldier. And he said, Lord, I've got a child who's sick. 
Jesus had determined that he was going to go with them, and the man said something like this to Christ, Lord, you don't even need to come to where my house is. You can speak the word right now, and my child would be whole. Because it didn't matter where Jesus was. Jesus could have solved the problem wherever he was. And he was basically telling Christ that I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. You're too great of a man, the Son of God, the one who can heal disease. You're too, you're too much of a man under a, a, of authority that you would even be coming into my house. Just speak the word where you are. And Jesus made a comment about his faith. So I want to say this. Jesus didn't need to be at the tomb to call Lazarus out from the tomb. Jesus didn't need to ask for the stone to be rolled away. He could have spoke that word and that stone would have rolled away. You know, when they were calling out to Jesus and and praising Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on that little donkey, and they were calling out to him, Hosanna, and putting those palm leaves down before him, and the Pharisees were telling him, hey, tell these folks to be quiet. And he says, if I tell these to be quiet, the stones will call out. The stones will praise me. Jesus didn't need to have them roll that stone away from the grave. He did that for other people's benefit. Why did Jesus ask for all those things to be done? I submit to you that I believe that Jesus allowed these things to be done so he could manifest his power and his glory before these people. Not just for Mary and Martha, but for all these cynics and the skeptics who wondered whether or not he had the power. Notice in verse number 36, after Christ wept, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should have not died? There are people who look at the tragedies that take place in life, and every single time that a tragedy takes place, it's as if they reach down to pick up a stone and whip it at Jesus and lay it at his feet. I want to say this to you, friend. This world is full of sinners. That wasn't Jesus' fault. It was man's fault. You know why sin is here? Man sin. By one man, sin entered into the world. All the situations of abuse, all the rejection, all the pain that people feel, all the tragic and horrible things that take place during life, whether it's somebody, uh, somebody going through situations of abuse or mistreatment or even tragically meeting their end. Just this last week, we read of terrible things and saw things on the news that are taking place in Hawaii with these wildfires, those folks had no idea that their lives were going to be tragically taken by these things. Do you realize why death is here? Death is here because sin entered into the world. God created this world as a perfect place, but man ruined it. Sin ruined it. And many people would like to lay all the tragedies that take place in life at the feet of the Lord. I would like to say this, in this world you're going to have tribulation. No tribulation that you will ever go through should cast, assuage, should cast uh, accusations in your mind toward the goodness of God. Because the Bible says this, God is good. 
God is eternally good. There's nothing bad with the Lord. All is good with the Lord. There's all the mercies, all the compassion, all the benevolence, and he made all of that available to us. So Jesus even was dealing with this miracle and did this. uh, Verse number 37 For those that were sitting there casting aspersions upon him and saying things about Christ that were not true and saying, couldn't the Lord have prevented this? Even his sister said when he showed up to town, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus allowed this to take place so that he could demonstrate his power. There were also some things that were demonstrated and will be demonstrated Uh, by this story, and we're going to try to get through those things today. But the Bible says, if you go on, in John chapter number 11, and we'll begin reading in verse number 38, Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and the stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone." Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Now Jesus had previously had an exchange with these sisters, and when Christ was basically telling her plainly, I'm going to do something special, I'm going to do something miraculous, she was like, yeah, I know that you're going to raise him up at the last day. No, Jesus wasn't there to raise him up at the last day. Jesus was coming there to blow their minds because he had power over death. And if you go on there, when he said in John chapter number 11, in verse number 40, he said, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Oh, Jesus begins to pray. I would like to give you a few pointers about prayer. When you begin to pray, and some people aren't taught to pray, some people are taught that only religious people pray. Only if you're a doctor, a theologian, only if you've gone to Bible college. Uh, Can I say it in a word? No. All of us can pray. And I don't need to have anybody else pray for me. I can pray to Christ for myself. That's a benefit of salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I can pray and I can pray directly to the Lord. I don't have to pray through a priest or someone else. But prayer, when you address God... You should address God similarly to how Christ did in the model prayer when he said, Our Father, which art in heaven. He is our heavenly Father. He is in heaven. And when he prays, he said, Father, and then here's where he he starts. I thank thee, thou hast heard me. You know, a good thing to include in your prayers is thanks. You know what we have in this nation? A bunch of unthankful and ungrateful people. They're unthankful for the freedom that they enjoy. They're unthankful for the food they eat. They're unthankful for how things aren't just right. Hey, the temperature's not right. The sound system ain't just right. The shoes ain't right. The meat ain't right. It's not seasoned right. There's just something wrong with this. There's a bunch of unthankful people. We ought to be a thankful people. 
And some people have such a sour spirit because they are so unthankful. Can I encourage you as God's people and members of the Metropolitan Baptist Church, don't do that. Now, how did you say that so nice when you yelled, don't? (laughs) You know, you remember how that I told you a few months ago about the man who went fishing and he had the long fishing poles that were hanging out the back of his pickup truck and he snapped the end of the fishing pole out by slamming his pickup truck, and the guy says, here's a piece of advice. Don't do that. Because you ruin the pole if you snap off the end. All right? I want to say this to you. You ruin a lot of things by being unthankful. You ruin your spirit. You ruin the attitude. Some people ruin a church because they come in with the mully grubs and their chins dragging the ground. They're not happy about nothing. I remember hearing a guy from Alabama talking about having to work in the cotton fields. He was an older white preacher, and he said, my dad made me work in the cotton fields when I was young. He said, when I came of age, I didn't wear, he said, I don't want to wear nothing cotton. And he said, nothing. And when he said nothing like that, I was in the front row of a church I'd never been to, and I laughed like Don Curtis. I mean, I just let it, I was like, because he said nothing. And it got me tickled. And then my being tickled was causing other people to get tickled, and I was ruining the service, and thus I've never been back to that church since. They haven't invited me back. It was called the Alpha and the Omega trip, the first and the last. But I mean, some people have that that attitude when they come into church, nothing's going to bless me today. Nothing. And all I can try to tell you is, be thankful when you come to church. Be thankful throughout your life. Being thankful to God's a good thing. Say, how did you get on that? Hey, Jesus gave thanks to God. Shouldn't you give thanks to God? We ought to be a thankful people. An attitude of ingratitude is a quick way to fall out of favor with God. But Jesus began to pray, and he lifted up his eyes. And by the way, that speaks to you of the posture of prayer. Wait a second. You can't pray looking up. I was taught to bow my head and close my eyes. Can I ask you something? Have you ever read your Bible where Jesus looked up many times when he was praying and he never prayed with his eyes closed? You remember Brother Carl Anderson was here just a few weeks ago and he was mad because the woman was peeking. (laughs) The preacher said every head bowed and every eye closed and he was asking if there was anybody lost there and he raised his hand and the woman behind him began to poke him because she thought the Holy Spirit needed a little help was mad he's from sweden he's like she was picking picking and then he, he left church and didn't come back for a whole year because he got angry and by the way your actions in church could do the same thing if i ask you to bow your head and close your eyes that doesn't mean you spiritual people should be looking around just bow your head and close your eyes be respectful towards other people you know all i could say is that you don't the posture of prayer is not always bowing your heads and closing your eyes you can pray while looking up to heaven You can pray while laying flat on your face. You can pray while you're standing. You can pray while kneeling. There are many ways that you can pray, and the posture of prayer isn't the most important thing. It's the posture of your heart. But Christ looked up to heaven, and he began to pray and thank the Lord. And he said he thanked God that God heard him. In verse 42, he talks about this. Now, Christ never prayed a prayer. It was not heard. Him and his Father were one. The Scripture says... 
in verse number 42, And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stood by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And Christ begins, he basically says, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice. You can only imagine how Christ's voice was when it was loud. (laughs) He said, Lazarus, come forth. There were probably a lot of doubters when he said that. I wonder what's going to happen now. I'm going to tell you something. Something happened. You heard the one preacher say, it's a good thing he said Lazarus, because if he'd have just said, come forth, there'd have been a whole lot of dead people coming out. The Bible says, and and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Now, back in Bible times, they'd basically mummify somebody who had died. They would embalm them in a Jewish way. They would use spices. There were people who came to even anoint Christ's body after he was was embalmed and after he was laid in the tomb and basically mummified. And you could only imagine how that when he was bound with these grave clothes, he came waddling out there. You know, they they had his feet bound, they had his arms bound, they had his face with a napkin, and here's Lazarus. Jesus said to come forth, but he didn't take time to take all them grave clothes off. (laughs) So he comes waddling out there, and Jesus said this at the end of verse number 44, loose him and let him go. So he needed somebody else's help to get these grave clothes off. There's a lot of types and sermons that I've heard about these things. You know, first of all, you can say that Lazarus's grave clothes, and, and God does use his servants to help people get their grave clothes off after they get saved. Some people don't understand how they're supposed to live their life, and they become entangled with the snares of sin. Sin will never bless your life, and it will never bless your Christian life, and even saved people can be involved in sinful behavior that God wants them to stop. God takes people like at church to disciple other people and befriend other people and show them things from the scripture to where they can have victory over sin, to where they can change their spiritual garments, if you will. But for the last few moments of the service today, I want to consider a few things about this where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The family of Lazarus was blessed by having a friendship with Jesus. Your family will be blessed by you having a friendship with Jesus too. The Bible says that Jesus is a friend to sinners. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. There's not a soul in this room today that Jesus didn't say, you're a friend to me and I'm a friend to you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. Jesus called you his friend. You know, in the Old Testament, we started dealing with this on Wednesday night a little bit about the story of Abraham. Abraham was promised to be a blessing. God said, I'm going to make your name great. and You're going to be a blessing. The Bible says this to Abraham, the father of the Jews. He said, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I want to hear, I'm here today to make a personal acknowledgement. The Bujak family has been blessed by Jesus Christ. And I hope along with me you can put the last name of your family in there and say, My family's been blessed by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ's relationship will change things in you. There was a fulfillment of that promise given to Abraham through Jesus Christ. 
Because through Jesus Christ, all the families of the earth have been blessed. There was a a blessing of forgiveness. You know, when you get to know Jesus Christ, the purpose He came was to pay for your sins and to offer forgiveness. But forgiveness doesn't take place until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to personally receive Christ as your Savior. You know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they received the truth about Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is demonstrating His greatness in front of them. Listen, the, the families of the world have been blessed by Jesus Christ. Have you been blessed by Jesus Christ? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Talking about how God makes somebody alive when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and when they get saved. You know, when you get saved, you were formerly dead to, you were formerly dead to do good works the proper way. You were doing everything wrong. You were dead in trespasses and sins. That was a law that was over you. But when you got saved, you were made alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. The families of the world were blessed by Christ when he saves our souls. You think about Lazarus' family, how that Jesus changed their life. It wasn't just that meal. It wasn't just that friendship. But now Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead. I wonder how that affected his sisters. I wonder how it affected their town. Lazarus, who was dead, is now alive again. Let me say this. There's a lot of things that are taking place physically in the story of Lazarus, which should also be true of you spiritually. Just as Lazarus was dead in that grave, now he's alive again. Those who've been saved by the grace of God, you used to be dead and now you're supposed to be alive. We're supposed to put away them grave clothes. We're supposed to live a different life. We're supposed to have a different purpose once we get saved. Just as Lazarus was, wrote, was, was raised from death, so have you if you've been saved by the grace of God. Let me ask you a question. You think Lazarus ever forgot this day? <laughs> you think Mary and Martha ever forgot the day that Lazarus was rose from the dead? You think the people in the town who saw this happening, even those people who were skeptical about Jesus Christ, ever got to a day when they wouldn't be talking to their families at the table? Hey, you remember that day down in Bethany? (laughs) You remember what happened when Jesus came to town? Uh, You know, they they probably told that story, and and generations went by before that story ever, and it's still being told today. I want to say this today, friend. Jesus will take your life, and he'll take you from being dead, and he'll make you alive. Now, for those of you who've never been saved by God's grace, salvation takes place at a point in time in your life. It was a time in my life when I was not married. I haven't always been married. If I say that I've always been married, I was born married, I'd be telling you a lie. You were not born married. Amen? You ever heard someone say, I've always been saved? Not according to the Bible. The Bible says that you were born in sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why Christ said you need to be born again. You have to be born of water, and you have to be born of the Spirit. John chapter number 3. Water birth is referring to that day when our mother's water broke, and we came into this world through water. That makes us human beings. You have to be born of water, and you have to be born of the Spirit. How do you get born of the Spirit? Recognizing your sinful condition. I am a sinner. Recognizing that there is a payment that was made for sin and it was done through Jesus Christ. 
and believing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And when we believe on Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and to take us to heaven when we die, it is then when we have become born again. Can you take me to a time and place in your life when you say, yes, I remember the day, I remember where I was. If you don't know when you were saved, or if you're not saved today, can I say this to you? Jesus is still a friend of sinners, and Jesus is still ready, willing, and able to save you from your sin. Don't die lost when the whole payment was already made for your sins to be forgiven. Jesus said, it is finished. And Jesus, my friend, as the songwriter said, he paid it all. Your family, you personally first need to receive the benefit of the blessing of Jesus Christ in salvation. I hope and pray that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I also pray that if you know Christ as your Savior, that you put the same kind of emphasis on going to church and on being a faithful member of the church and on learning the things that Christ taught his disciples as Christ wanted his followers to be. Listen, this whole thing about following Christ was serious to Jesus. So serious that a man once came to him who was rich, and he said, Lord, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And Jesus didn't say, put your hand on this Bible and repeat this prayer, and all, everything will be well. Jesus said, sell what you got and follow me, and you'll have riches in heaven. Say, what does that mean to me? All that means is anything that stands between you and God needs to be on the table when salvation is being dealt with. Now, Jesus doesn't require everybody to sell everything they have to follow him. Otherwise, why did Zacchaeus say he gave half of his goods to to feed the poor? He gave half of it, and Jesus said, salvation, come to your house today. Because, hey, the same way that the rich young ruler came to Christ, same way as Zacchaeus had to come to Christ, and the same way as it is that you have to come to Christ. And the whole, whole issue there is the attitude of repentance. Sorry for my sin. I don't want to be lost anymore. That's the true attitude of repentance. I don't want to live another day of my life without Jesus Christ. I want him, I want to know that he's my savior. If you've never been saved by the grace of God, we're going to stand in just a moment and have an invitation. And I want you to consider coming on down front. Bow your knee before the Lord to confess him as your Lord. Ask forgiveness of sin and believe on Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. There could be somebody else here today and you're dealing with some of the grief and loss of life. You've come to church today with a heavy heart. I want to encourage you to take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to prepare to have a verse of invitation. In just a moment, our brother John's going to begin singing a song called, I Need Thee Every Hour. If there was ever an hour that you needed the Lord, if you're lost, you need Him right now. Getting saved is a simple act of faith. When a sinner says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that you died in my place on Calvary's cross. Right now, I'm placing my faith, my trust in you. This issue of salvation. If you've never been saved, I want to invite you to come. As Brother John sings, would you come today and be saved? They have others that come to pray for their loved ones, families. God spoke to your heart.
It's a blessed day. You know, if you said something in your heart where God's speaking to you, you know what Jesus is telling you. He's saying, hey, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. So I'll sing at verse 2. have his way in your heart today. dismissed today. Let's sing that first verse again of I Need Thee Every Hour, and we're going to sing this without the music. Let's sing this as unto the Lord. I need thee every hour, to be in the Lord's house today. Don't forget we have evening services tonight, 445 choir practice. 
uh, 6 p.m. services. We're going through 1 Samuel. We just got through how that David slew Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And we're going to be ushering in to the time where David uh, develops a fast friendship with Saul's son. And when Saul goes absolutely crazy in the book of 1 Samuel 17. Have you ever met someone that was absolutely crazy? Then you should be in church tonight, 6 o'clock. All right. Thank you for being here today. Make sure that you get by Brother David Collins and tell him how thankful you are that God put us into a relationship to where he could be such a blessing to our church. Uh, Publicly and from the pulpit here, Brother David, thank you. Thank you very much for what you did for us. And uh, thank you for your friendship. Uh, The times that we, we, he took me out to a place called Babe's Chicken Dinner. Now I'm getting spiritual now. I'm going to tell you something. I mean, Texas house. How many of you have never eaten at Babe's Chicken Dinner? All right. Some of you need to go. It's right next to sweet, it's right right next to that uh, Sweetie Pie's ribeyes. And uh, I think my preference is the chicken dinner, but uh, it was good. It was good. We had a good time of fun and fellowship, but I just, I thank God for how he bonds us together and uh, the people that he allows us to meet. And uh, our blessings, our prayers go about with you, Brother David, and you're always welcome here. I've told him that he's welcome to stay at our church, to hook up his RV, to use our mission house when it's available, anytime that he's through Fort Worth and, uh, you know. Praise the Lord for him. Make sure you get by and tell him thankful or thank you. And uh, we'll be uh, talking a little bit more tonight about uh, future plans. Let's go to he- go ahead and uh, we're going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. I'm going to call on Brother Ricky to dismiss the service in prayer this afternoon, please. Dear Father, thank you for today. I ask that you uh, give us the knowledge to Amen.